0: LCSWC. Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at TherapyNotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. So this is the week after the holiday, and it was a very heavy week for me. I hope it was nice for you. For me, there was a lot of grief, and it was a hard time. And there was also connection and love and joy, but the grief was really in the forefront. So things are moving a little bit slower for me this week. And as a result, I was not able to get ready the new episode that I had intended to release this week, and that will come out next week. But this week, I'm replaying for you a very treasured interview that I have never replayed before, thus far, with a guest I admire so greatly. And, you know, I love all of my guests, and I appreciate everyone who comes to Therapy Chat. But when I get to talk with people who are so closely aligned with the way I practice and the way I want to practice, like this week's guest, and a handful, maybe two handfuls of others who are really just people that I, I don't want to put them on a pedestal, but I really, really look up to them. (laughs) And that is, this week, Dr. Ariel Schwartz. Ariel Schwartz, PhD, is a psychologist, internationally sought-out teacher, yoga instructor, and a leading voice in the healing of PTSD and complex trauma. She's the author of five books, including the Complex PTSD Workbook, EMDR Therapy and Somatic Psychology, and the Post-Traumatic Growth Guidebook. Dr. Schwartz is an accomplished teacher who guides therapists in the application of EMDR, somatic psychology, parts work therapy, and mindfulness-based interventions for the treatment of trauma and complex PTSD. She has a depth of understanding, passion, kindness, compassion, joy, which are, I think, the things that draw me so much to her work, and she has a succinct way of speaking about very complex topics. Yes. And I'll add how warm she is and how much I love her Vegas nerve yoga that she offers for free on YouTube. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Arielle Schwartz is the founder of the Center for Resilience-Informed Therapy in Boulder, Colorado, where she maintains a private practice providing psychotherapy, supervision, and consultation. With over 20 years as a therapeutic yoga teacher, Dr. Schwartz believes that the journey of trauma recovery is an awakening of the spiritual heart. Yes. And we talked about complex trauma and dissociation and the freeze response. I just loved talking with Dr. Ariel Schwartz, and I hope you will enjoy this conversation too. Before we get into it, I want to let you know a couple of quick things. One is that Next week, you're going to hear more about it, but I'm going to get to see Dr. Ariel Schwartz, and you can too next year in a very special training opportunity. And I'm going to let you know more about that next time. So that's just a little teaser on that. And also, big news for Trauma Therapist Network we've added new levels of membership to make the community membership for therapists more accessible. Some people may want the all-access package with the live calls, the listing, and the community meetings, but some people may not be able to attend the live calls and want to be part of the inner circle, which receives the community meetings, the listing, and the recordings, but no access to the live calls. And some people may only need Or only want for whatever reason to have a listing so that they can let clients know that they're out there and how they practice, and they don't plan to attend the meetings or watch the recordings. So, for those people, we have created a listing only membership. So now we have three tiers of membership. And if you join the waiting list, we will send you right away a registration link within an hour or so that will give you access to register and you'll be able to read about the different tiers and also a special discount only for people who are on the waiting list. I'm keeping registration open until the end of the year, but in 2023, when we relaunch Trauma Therapist Network, the prices are going up. So this is the last time that these prices will be offered in this three tier option. So it's a very special opportunity to not only get in on the best pricing that will ever be offered for Trauma Therapist Network membership, but also to get that special discount if you join the waiting list. So you can sign up at the link in the show notes or go to go.traumatherapistnetwork.com slash join to join the waiting list. The last point I want to tell you before we get into my conversation with Dr. Ariel Schwartz is that we are also opening up membership to Canadian therapists in days. So if you're not already on the Trauma Therapist Network updates email list or the waiting list, please join the waiting list or the email list so that you can be the first to know when registration opens for Canadian therapists. I can't wait. We've been... Asked to provide this for a while, and we finally have figured out how to make the tech work. So, we just have a few more details to put in place, and maybe even by the time this episode is released, you will be able to find out about how Canadian therapists can join Trauma Therapist Network too. Okay, thank you for supporting the show. I was so happy today, a couple people shared their Spotify wrapped annual wrap ups. On Instagram and they had there were two people who shared that therapy chat was in their top three most listened to podcasts I was so excited about that and surprised so that was really neat I just appreciate all of you whether you're a therapist who's listens whether you're not a therapist someone who just values the content in therapy chat or if you're a member of Trauma Therapist Network community, I appreciate you, I value you, and I'm grateful for you. So take care and be well, and we'll have all goes as planned. We'll have a new episode next week that continues our theme of social justice.
1: My guest today is Dr. Arielle Schwartz. Dr. Schwartz, thank you so much for being my guest on Therapy Chat today. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to meet you. You too.
0: I'm very, very happy that we're talking and I'm excited because we're going to be talking about bringing the body into trauma therapy safely, keyword safely. Mm -hmm. But let's just start off by, if you would,
1: could you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do? I'm happy to. So I am a clinical psychologist in Boulder, Colorado, and I have lived here for about 25 years or so. Originally, I moved out here because I wanted to study somatic psychology, and uh, Naropa University is housed here, and it's one of the few programs that in the 1990s was offering master's degrees in somatic psychology. So I had this opportunity really early on. And if you're a listener and you're not sure what somatic psychology is, it's body psychotherapy. It's bringing the body into therapy. And in the 1990s, there wasn't a whole lot of awareness about this. It was really new and and unclear and and kind of burgeoning in the field. And now it is really kind of center in trauma-informed therapy. It really holds a very esteemed role in recognizing that we can't talk our way out of a trauma response or a traumatic event because, as Vessel van der Kolk has written, the body keeps the score. So early on in the 1990s, Bessel would come and be part of our training, right? And Peter Levine and Pat Ogden and a lot of the the kind of founders of this, of this field were all collectively, you know, in, in this, I think, you know, it's a think tank, but it was like an embodied think tank uh-huh. of how do we engage the body for the purpose of healing trauma. And when I graduated from that program, I had some of my own experiences, I had several car accidents that also actually were sitting on top of uh, traumatic events that I experienced in my own childhood. And when the car accidents happened, it was almost as if uh, a kind of a lid had come off of things that I had pretty well contained. And so someone had recommended that I go try EMDR therapy. And it was so beneficial for me Because it allowed me to kind of access not only the recent traumatic event, but it really provided me very direct access to the unresolved traumas of my own childhood. So I was sold on EMDR after my own personal experience with it and ended up training in that in 2001. And I have now become an EMDR consultant and I have been teaching others in the EMDR and somatic therapy modality for the last 13 years or so. Wonderful. And you even have a book specifically about that, right? I do. I um, I have the EMDR therapy and somatic psychology book. And then, you know, because again, my interest in trauma is not just single incident traumas, but it's very much this understanding that often, if you're a human on the planet nowadays, you're experiencing challenges. And often those challenges begin in childhood. Okay. And so the Accumulation of what might be many different events that then are all stacking up and are all building up inside of the individual and informing our sense of identity, our sense of efficacy in the world, or whether we feel helpless or powerless. Right. All of that really um, took my lens toward complex trauma as a focal point. And I have books on that as well, of course. Mm -hmm. And maybe one other thing that I'll share about my uh, kind of professional background is that around the same time that I began to study somatic psychology, I also completed a certification as a yoga teacher. So I have a, a very deep kind of parallel track in my work of providing therapeutic yoga for trauma and have taught that for many, many years. Beautiful.
0: Yes. And I'm so interested in the way you practice. And, um, you know, I know that you're a yoga teacher and all of those methods woven together, you know, the somatic psychology perspective and EMDR and yoga. And it seems like you actually, let's talk about that since mm-hmm. we're here. Um, what, who, what, what, type of what would be kind of a typical presentation of someone who you would be working with and and what ways do you use in working with them yeah
1: so again because i'm largely known for working with complex trauma and more specifically trauma that has its etiology or origins in childhood that a lot of who of whom i work with and a lot of who gets referred to me are individuals who have that background and so i specialize not only in complex trauma but also in dissociation and of course dissociation often gets kind of like we have a fear response or we think of those extreme models of someone who you know is really fractured but in reality while i do work with individuals who have did and who have You know, very, very kind of structural based dissociation. But I also really see that dissociation lives on a continuum. And that, uh, again, if you're a human on the planet, we all have dissociation or dissociative strategies or coping in one way or another. It could be as simple as zoning out while you're, you know, binge watching shows on Netflix or scrolling your social media or, emotionally eating or um, addictive substances, right? Your, you know, your glass of wine every night or several glasses, whatever it might be that kind of helps you cope with the world or with your internal states of what you don't want to feel. Uh But when someone has a history of trauma from childhood, we often see that those coping mechanisms, whether it's dissociation and checking out and zoning out and fogging out, not feeling they're stronger they're they're more at play and the repercussions of those strategies tend to also show up. Like there's all of this that I don't want to feel. And often I use this beach ball metaphor. It's like, I'm trying to hold all of the emotions and all of the memories and all of the the sensations at bay. I don't want to feel any of that. I don't want to acknowledge that it's even real. And it's like trying to push a a beach ball underwater. And we can do that temporarily and it's no big deal, right? It's, It's compartmentalization, it's containment, but When we're trying to push that down constantly and chronically, at some point, it's exhausting for our psyche. It's exhausting for our system. It's, you know, if you go back to the beach ball underwater, at some point, your arms are going to get tired, right? Or you get bobbing up. That's right. You get (laughs) distracted and then it slips through your hands. And when it slips through your hands all at once, what happens? But it creates this big splash, right? And then you have to put your life back together and you have to push it back down. And so what we want to do with with really wise trauma therapy is attend to what's being held. And sometimes people are like, well, I've got five beach balls under the water, right? Like I only have two hands. I'm really working hard here. So what we want to do is really allow this to come to the surface in a slow, modulated way, so that once the beach ball finally reaches the surface, no big splash is happening, mm. right? And that—that's that, a beautiful analogy, really. Yeah, yeah. And and what what then happens is that once we're not working so hard to keep all of that out of conscious awareness, we feel more real. We feel more connected to ourselves. I can actually feel the, the, the feelings in my chest, in my belly, in my throat. I can feel connected to those different thoughts or memories that I might have. And I also have more access to my aliveness and my joy.
0: Key, mm-hmm. because yeah. it's not just about what you don't want to feel, but it's what you lose access to because of the protective dissociation that is keeping you from knowing or remembering or feeling or fully grasping what happened, because it's more painful than you can tolerate. That's That's the whole
1: thing. That's right. And that's especially true when it begins in childhood, because as a child, you really need that sense of my, you know, parents or my primary caretakers are predictable and they're safe and they're good people. We need that so badly, and and when they're not good people, when they are the same people that are harming us, it creates such a um, a intolerable feeling. Right, that very often the reality of what's actually our sensory experience is telling us of what's happening can't be tolerated, and that gets pushed down. And then what we rely on is the fantasy, the fantasy of the good mommy or the fantasy of the good daddy, that really underneath that scary look on their face or the alcohol on their breath or the harsh words that they're saying or the inappropriate touch that they're doing, underneath all of that, they're a good mommy, they're a good daddy. And I'll rely on that fantasy as a way to actually push away the sensory reality of what happened or what's happening, right? Yeah. For survival. Yes. And we take that strategy with us into adulthood.
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, you're already touching on something about that beach ball that it has to be buried for you to be able, you know, under the water for you to be able to stay alive because you have to be able to believe that your parents are safe and you can trust them and that they're going to take care of you because you do depend on them for survival, you know, less when you're a teen, but you know, the younger you are, you literally cannot fend for yourself. That's right.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that quality of, um, of having to keep that at bay And then, you know, to live in the as if or to live in the fantasy. And then, you know, to basically try and protect other aspects of your world from being contaminated by what might be happening at home or what what you can't talk about. Right. And so then you perpetuate the part of self that basically is living as if none of those bad things are happening. And then it gets further pushed back. But I think one of my main intentions as a trauma-informed provider, as well as educator, is that I want to really depathologize dissociation. Mm. I want to recognize it as, as you just named, a survival protective response. And that no matter where you are on that dissociative continuum, you're not broken, you're not damaged, you're a human surviving this complex world. Thank you. And
0: yes, I agree with you about the depathologizing of of dissociation, but as you kind of mentioned in the beginning, you didn't say this directly, but culturally we get in pop culture or in films and you know media we get portrayals of what dissociation is. It's you know civil or it's you know something where it's it's an extreme portrayal that is scary and it's you know it's kind of intended to be scary in that case. But, and dissociation can, can be scary because it can feel very out of control. Yes. And, you know, when you don't know what you did, if it's to that extreme where you lose time and things, it's, you know, there can be situations where you're inadvertently in an unsafe situation and because you're not fully present, you're not safe, but it's not you who's the danger to other people. It's other people who intend harm, who could be the danger
1: to you. Exactly. And that's where the, the misattribution of responsibility comes in, is that the, that the interpretation is, I must be the bad one. I must be the bad child. Again, I'll make them the good parent or the good, the, the, the good coach, the good minister, whoever it is that's supposed to be that good adult, right? I'll make them the good one, but I must be the bad one all of those yucky feelings that I'm feeling inside that that's confirmation that I'm the bad one. Right. And so I think those, that what you're describing is that the fear then gets, it kind of almost like popularized or, or maximized on in the media and in how it gets spoken about, but the, the, you know, when we just meet, face to face with any one individual. It's really all about kind of having compassion and helping build compassion and build a depth of understanding for your own unique experience and your own unique uh, life. And and it's not scary at all. It's actually just very tender, very vulnerable. Very
0: vulnerable. Yes, exactly. And you know, I think that one of the things that's really missing in our cultural conversation, you know, I do feel like trauma is kind of a, a buzzword right now, which I'm grateful that more and more people are learning about trauma. But I, I do think that um, there's an oversimplification a lot of times in the way it's spoken about and dissociation is pretty much left out most mm-hmm. of the time, you know, so and, but it it's part of a trauma response. It's a, it's part of a the protective way that our brain handles these situations so that we can live through them. Yeah. And it, you know, and I, but it's so confusing because it, for the person it's like, was that real? Did that really happen? You know?
1: Yeah. I I think that's such a key piece, right? If it's, it's a little bit like if the tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, did it really, did it really happen? And when trauma occurs and nobody validates it, nobody witnesses it, nobody, says that really happened to you and that was bad and that was wrong it's that same quality of did that even happen and do i even exist is what i'm feeling inside valid right and i really feel that that's a big part of what we do therapeutically is to go back and revisit these unwitnessed events Hmm. And provide this kind of shared shared experience where now the individual can go back, not in the source of a flashback or in the middle of the night, but with a compassionate companion who then can, can kind of hear the story and go, well, that was a crime. That should never have, never have happened. And nobody protected you. And nobody helped you unpack what happened afterwards. And now we get to do that. And so we're validating the reality of that experience. Yeah. That compassionate witnessing, Mm -hmm. which is what
0: needed to happen the first time around, you know? Not true. Yeah. I mean, I know that, you know, in instances where people are abusing children, whether it's a parent, a coach or whoever it is, some adult that is abuse and it's a crime, but there are other types of traumatic events that can happen in childhood that nobody intended to harm anybody. Mm -hmm but it still happened like a parent dies or
1: you know a sibling gets cancer or something like that and things or that nowadays things like a hurricane comes through your community and and it's flooded right i mean just just last week right so it's it's very real and it's It's something to keep in mind that there's the event that happens, but then there's everything surrounding the event that either comes in and helps a child process their life experience, the death of a parent, uh, uh, you know, a natural disaster, whatever it might be or nobody helps the child process through. Nobody helps them make sense of it um, or work through their emotions that came up around that.
0: Yes, exactly. And that's where the, you know, because I have actually met a couple people who went through something really traumatic, but, and I say a couple because, you know, those aren't necessarily the people who are seeking therapy for this, but um, they went through something really traumatic, but the response that happened afterwards was great and they got through it. They got help and they, mm-hmm. you know, not just in a one moment, but ongoing when they needed support, they were believed, they were supported. And you don't yeah. see those
1: people developing post-traumatic stress disorder. Exactly. So you're speaking to one of my other passions, which is around resilience and even post-traumatic growth. And when I have really just done a deep dive on what Fosters resilience. What are the factors that help children emerge out of childhood traumatic events with resilience? The key factors that there was at least a single adult who took an interest in the inner world and an experience of that child, who listened, who helped them. I, I always think of Mister Rogers, right? Like just that that person who is willing to show up and see that a child is a person. And they have their own thoughts and their fears and their worries and their hopes and their dreams. And that when a child has that person, that their likelihood of coming out of those adverse events with greater resilience, and that's physical resilience, less helpless health problems, emotional, psychological, mental, all of those layers is strengthened by just that one person. It's remarkable.
0: Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience, and one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn, it's intuitive, the customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Hey therapists, this is Laura Regan. If you listen to this show regularly, you're hearing a lot about trauma and attachment and you probably know these two underlying concerns are what drive most people to seek therapy regardless of how the symptoms present. The good news is trauma is becoming a buzzword, and that's great because more people are discovering there's a reason they feel the way they do, and now they can name what they need help with, but they need to find therapists who can help them, and that's where you come in. Join Trauma Therapist Network's Therapist Directory now at the founding member price of $33 a month, and you'll receive a beautiful listing that can function as a web page if you don't want to set up your own site or even if you have your own and you can include links to videos of yourself, blog posts, and you're part of a community. Right now, we have quarterly calls for all members. Our first one happened in October, and it was lovely. Everyone said they really enjoyed it, but I'm adding more content that will begin to be available March 1st, 2022. And if you sign up for February 1st, you'll be locked in at the founding member price of $33 a month. February 1st, the price is going to go up to $97 a month to reflect the added value of these new offerings. And everybody who signs up as a founding member for $33 a month will get all that content beginning March 1st, as long as you keep your membership. I'm really excited about what's to come. We're going to have weekly live calls, four per month, and one will be a Q&A. One will be focused on self-care, one will be case consultation, and one will be training on a certain topic. Hurry on over to traumatherapistnetwork.com to sign up and become a founding member of this beautiful community of wonderful, passionate, and skilled trauma therapists. We need you. People who have trauma are out there looking for you, and they don't know how to discern that you specialize in trauma trauma. So come on over to the Trauma Therapist Network and get listed. Join our community and this movement, traumatherapistnetwork.com. Thank you for saying that. That's actually one of the things that I didn't say this when we were talking before, but that I learned about that when I was in undergrad in sociology. And I was like, it only takes one person (laughs) I could be that person for maybe one person. And that would be like a reason to, you know, feel like you contributed something to the world. Exactly. And also what I needed, you
1: know, what we all needed when we were little. That's right right? That compassionate witness. And, and again, like, even if it doesn't happen in childhood, if, you know, I've worked with people and I'm sure you have too, who say I never had that person. Yeah. Right. And, but because we have this ability to time travel, right. To go back in our minds and in our, in our memory and because the body emerges still in the here and now with whatever's left unprocessed from the there and then. And so we have that ability to go back and loop our consciousness around those pockets of time and, and experience that were left unprocessed unrealized and unwitnessed. And we go back to those. And now we are that adult as if we're sitting with the child. Uh
0: That's right. I mean, it's right there in our bodies, like just like it was then. And that's, you know, I guess that brings us into why it's so important to bring the body into trauma therapy. Can you talk about that a little bit more in depth? Yeah,
1: yeah. And I'll actually tie into it another modality that I feel like is so incredibly valuable for, um, for treating trauma, which is parts work therapies. Mm. Right. You know, that that statement I just made of, you know, we can basically time travel and we're sitting with the felt experience and the here and now in the body, but it's as if we're touching into that which never got realized or processed by the five-year-old or the seven-year-old. And so when we can really identify what is the part of the client that's still holding that. And ironically, when we're working with parts work, whether that's ego state therapy or internal family systems um, or structural dissociation model, but regardless, the body is our access, right? I have a long-term client that i work with who often likes to say my body is my inner child, right? And there's this way resonates
0: a lot, right?
1: Right. That like the feeling in the belly, the, the, you know, the jitteriness, the, the heartbeat, all of those experiences, the catch in the throat, those are our access points to what didn't get to be expressed. So, you know, there's, there's the bringing the body into psychotherapy is so valuable, but we need to do it wisely right exactly yeah and and what that really means is that we don't want to do too much too fast we need to be in alignment with the pacing for the individual what we call their window of tolerance or capacity to be with sensation and if we go too much too fast or are pushing the client in a direction that they're just not ready or wanting to go if we can really create harm
0: yeah and that's you know i think again going to trauma being kind of a buzzword right now there are a lot of i think it's a great thing that there are a lot of body oriented trauma healing methods and modalities that are kind of like out there you know i mean i've had clients who received from a massage therapist or an acupuncturist, like a list of exercises to do to discharge the the trauma. And sometimes that can bring up unexpected reactions, I think. So
1: sure. It's, it's a too much, too fast response. And I, and I see it as well. Whether it is, you know, what used to be called things like primal scream therapy, but like uh. whether it's, you know, you know, kind of banging on pillows or letting something out in a very cathartic way. But if we don't have that capacity to contain or to have compa- internalized compassionate witness for whatever's coming forward, we can feel re-traumatized by the emergence of all of those emotions or memories that are held there. So, you know, a wise approach to somatic work is what we refer to as pendulation or titration, which is that you go toward whatever the discomfort is or whatever the traumatic memory is and you loop your consciousness around the somatic experience related to that and then you come back to resource or you actually start with resource like you and by resource that can be awareness of safety in your here and now circumstances that you're looking around your space or that you're holding on to something that's an anchor for i know that i'm safe now right or your you know safety might be a sensation or a feeling in your body that doesn't feel triggering or your resource might be and, uh, a time that you remember feeling really safe and loved with a person that was a really loving, compassionate um, presence in your life. So you can use your imagination, your senses, you know, grounding into your legs and feet. Your breath might be a resource. So we have a lot of different ways that we can find basically states of connection, states of calm, states of ease. And then we can turn towards whatever the distress is. But, you know, if we ha- if we dive into the distress, it's like jumping into the deep end before you've learned how to swim and you don't have your swimmings on. Right. Like we want to find our way to learn how to to get into the water of whatever that traumatic material would be without feeling like we're going to drown there.
0: Yes. And I think, again, that's where, like, personally, I feel that every therapist who's working with people, (laughs) every therapist should have basic training in trauma and also learning how to identify, I guess you could, the easy way to say it would be how to identify where the person is within their window of tolerance, but it's, I feel like it's really being able to recognize the signs when someone is out of their window of tolerance, especially dissociation, because it can look so the same as, you
1: know. Right. I I think think that's exactly what I was going to say is that. What can be so tricky is when you have someone that is a highly functional, Mm -hmm. you know, individual, because they had to develop that high functioning to cope with their trauma in childhood, and they come into your office and they got it all put together, right, and you know, and in a way it can feel so threatening to get under that, under the surface of that. But on the other hand, the, you know, that high functioning, you know, self can feel cut off, disconnected, um, or suddenly go into this rage when your kid triggers you or your spouse triggers you, right? So there can be this split between that, like I've got it all put together, actually what you're calling, I've got it all put together is a functional freeze. Mm. Can you say a little more about that? Yeah, I think it's, it's a, another way of coping. It's a, it's one way that, that we can, you know, override difficult child events, right? If you, I mean, even simple things, we were talking again about like more extreme experiences of, of Uh, abuse or, you know, uh, uh, the loss of a parent or a a big event, but actually can be a lot of accumulation of very subtle events. Or the missing pieces, right, growing up in a family where you've been neglected, where no one really validated your feelings, where you had to perform well in order to be approved of in your family. If you, you know, your good grades, it was, you know, that you had everything put away, that you ate all the food on your plate, right, all of these things. And so then when there's distress, and if the, if you're in a family that has a very collective low tolerance for emotional distress, then the way to belong in that family is to contain the distress. And then once again, I'm going to act as if I'm fine, but I've pushed everything down like that beach ball.
0: right? Yeah.
1: So there's this high functioning. I'll do fine in school. I'll have my manners. I'll say, yes, please. I'll say, no, thank you. Right. But underneath, I hate when you do that. Or why don't you ever listen to me? Or I cry myself to bed at night. I have anxiety and panic attacks, but nobody knows. Or constantly thinking about killing yourself and,
0: you know, wondering why am I not happy when I have achieved so much and I have everything I thought I ever wanted and, but I'm still not happy. What's wrong
1: with me? Why can't I be happy? Why can't I appreciate my life? Enjoy this. Right, right. I, I, I should, I shouldn't feel this way and I must be an ungrateful child. Right. Those are the kinds of phrases that we hear again and
0: again. Yeah.
1: Wow. I love,
0: you know, I've actually not heard that functional freeze before, but it makes total sense
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, because it's like, as long as you don't go there, you're fine, but
1: you're not fine because you don't feel fine inside. Yes. As far as anyone yeah. can tell, you're fine. Right. And so going back to where we started on this piece, when when you're a therapist and the client is coming in and they're telling you about all the things that are going okay. Right. and We're missing the fact that actually that's their coping mechanism. And underneath that is all of the unexpressed distress. But because I imagine that everyone expects me to have it all together, I'll take that part of me right into therapy so what we really want to do is help move toward that more authentic self once again both for the sake of turning towards where the the real hurt feelings got cut off but also where your you know real capacity for joy and meaning and connection and and love reside
0: yes and you know that is very beautiful what you just said and I keep, you keep reminding me about, you know, that, that idea that it's not just the pain that we don't want to touch that we're somewhat detached from with complex trauma and dissociation, but it's the joy and the feeling of being connected and the feeling of, wow, it's good to be alive and you know, connection with people we love
1: and yeah, so all of, that richness other, inside. Yeah. One of the other kind of influences in my work is what we refer to as strength-based psychotherapy. Right. And it doesn't mean that we want to ignore the distress. Obviously that's been the primary focus of what we're speaking about, but that we can also turn towards What are the existing resources? How did you survive all those years? You know, where have, where do you feel empowered? Where do you have a voice? What are, what brings you joy, right? Who takes care of you? Um, Who did take care of you in your life? If we can find those people.
0: Yeah, and that really does a lot to sort of make it feel safer to explore the more painful places too when you can remember, oh yeah, I have strengths and I have I'm not, you know, because it's like like a child, you know, that sense of mastery, we want to feel in control, we want to feel like we know what's going to happen, feel a sense of competence and that's right. That's some of the things that trauma really interferes with, I feel. Well, I am so glad that you are doing what you're doing and writing about it and teaching and training and doing your direct work with clients. Can you tell us a little bit about for clinicians and for people who aren't therapists, but are wanting to explore trauma healing?
1: What are you offering? What's out there that you've got going on that people can find? Yeah. Thank you for asking. I You know, I I think one of the things that has been a very kind of spiritually driven and kind of heartfelt desire is to create as much accessible resources, as many accessible resources out there as possible for the the layperson, for anyone, for anyone who's experienced trauma, especially because we are aware that we are facing a mental health crisis as we You know, I think it's been around for a long time, but it's exacerbated by the pandemic and by, you know, so much of what has been emerging in these recent years. So the, you know, the resources that I have out there, one is my website and my blog, and that's at DrArielSchwartz.com. And then I'm also an, uh, on Facebook um, under Dr. Ariel Schwartz, and LinkedIn, and Twitter, and Instagram. I think is Ariel Schwartz Boulder, something like that. So you can find me on all the, the socials. But the I, one of my pandemic projects was to create a YouTube channel, and at this point I have about eighty videos on there that are free, and they are either yoga classes or small mini yoga based somatic practices that you can do to nourish your nervous system. I have a lot of emphasis on the vagus nerve and on kind of how we can really engage body and mind together. And then there's some, you know, short trauma talks that are on there as well. And then in terms of programs, I, you know, I have my books out there. So I have books for, again, the client or, or, you know, anyone. So those are the Complex PTSD Workbook. I have the Practical Guide to Complex PTSD. I have the Post Traumatic Growth Guidebook. I have a a six hour audio program called Trauma Recovery, a Mind-Body Approach to Becoming Whole, and that is with Sounds True. And for the clinician who is seeking to become more trauma-informed, there are all of those books that you can use with your clients, but also there is the EMDR Therapy and Somatic Psychology book and the Complex PTSD Treatment Manual. That's a lot. (laughs) Lastly, um, I'll just share with you that um, I have plenty of trainings for clinicians through PESI and um, a really exciting uh, learning opportunity for clinicians wanting to become more aware of how to work somatically. And this is through the Embody Lab. And we have a very soon to emerge uh, somatic trauma therapy certificate program that is for practitioners to learn how to integrate somatic therapies into your work. And then starting in January through Sounds True, we are going to launch a nine-month program that is for The individual seeking to heal from trauma, recognizing that accessing trauma therapists can be challenging. We are going to take you through a nine month journey of what we believe are the best modalities out there experientially for your own healing. So, those are some of the upcoming offerings. So wonderful. And, you know, I knew about almost all of those
0: resources except for the YouTube channel which I'm definitely telling myself I'm going to check that out maybe watch some of those tomorrow can't do it today but um <laughs> I'm I'm very appreciative that you are making things available and accessible to as many people as possible because as you said and especially with the pandemic and the racial injustice that's been happening and the climate crisis you know, natural disasters everywhere, partly because of, you know, the situation with the climate. People are having a hard time even getting in with even a therapist who isn't trauma informed right now. So as much as possible, and I'm going to, I'll ask you if I can share some of these things on my new website too, because I want, it's in the same way. I want people to be able to get help, even if they can't connect with a therapist for whatever reason. So Thank you for everything you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on to Therapy Chat today. It's been really joy to speak with you.
1: Thank you. Really a pleasure to be with you.
0: Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to TraumaTherapistNetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today.
1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.